Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. All right, all right. Would you do me a favor and welcome those that are watching on Facebook today. Give them a big hand clap today for watching with us. Good to see you today. Good to see you Sort of, you see us, we see you, we see everybody, all right? And so um, today we're going to continue our series called Heroes, and um, I've had fun uh, in this series, and we're going to pick another character this week, and I'm real excited about this guy because um, I kind of I relate to this guy, and um, his name is Elisha, and we're going to look at Elisha this morning, and uh, he is Elijah's um, second man, second in command. He's the, the protege of Elijah, which is the prophet. Elijah was the guy that went to Mount Carmel in the, and, uh, and called down fire from heaven and burned up all the prophets of Baal, and, and Elijah was the big dog. But uh, Elisha actually um, became the leader after him. He became the prophet in the land, and Elisha was a guy that did double what Elijah did. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you a couple things that I feel like are, are super relevant to us as individuals. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 has been our verse. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We have a race that is marked out for us, and, and the goal of this series is to take principles of encouragement from guys that have been there, that have done that, that have, that have walked, that, have, that are heroes of the faith, that are in the uh, Hebrews chapter 11 group, and just take these guys and get some encouragement, some lessons from them. But I asked myself the question, you know, one of the, one of the bigger questions I struggle with as a person, I'm not sure about you, but how to get from here to there. Now, in a directional sense, that's not a problem. You know, you got Siri, and she'll tell you, she's pretty bossy. If you talk to Siri, she'll tell you how to get places, right? She'll, she'll uh, you know, you say, I want to go to, uh, want to go to the rib shack. Amen. I don't know where that's at, but hopefully if I say it, she'll tell me where it's at. But then she'll give me directions on how to get there. The map will pull up and, and really teaches me how to get, shows me, really, bossy to get to where it needs to go. And so a lot of times in life, we struggle with from here to there. You know, God gives us a promise of something which is here, and we're, we're experiencing things right now, in right now moments. But then how do we get to there? How, how do we get to the fulfillment of that promise? How do we get to the end game? And I believe Elisha has a lot to speak to us when it comes to this. And so we live a life where we have from here to here. Now, there's a, lot of middle, there's a lot of middle ground between here and there. And this is a lot of how people deal with their middle ground. And when you're going from here to there, these are things you experience. Now, we're going to show you the opposite of how Elisha dealt with from here to there. But you experience the guilt, the regret, the hurt, the pain. Uh, you experience the wondering, you experience the sorrow, you experience the anxiety, the, 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 the peace of being ashamed. Like there's this, this ball of emotions that goes in from here to there. And a lot of people live in that place of emotion. They live in that stress and anxiety. It's like, oh God, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? Hey, I'm there. I've been there. Right? I've been there. This stress, man. When we started this thing, i like, hey, I got us to this point now. Jesus, amen. I'm like, Joshua, how are we going to get to the rest of it? He's like, I don't know. You have never been this way before. I'm like, great, sign me up. I don't know. From here to there, though, like there's a lot of space. 
And what I'm, not ta- what I'm talking about this morning is how do we navigate from here to there? Do I think planning is important? Absolutely. Do I think having a plan is important? Absolutely. Do I think, do I think having some stuff written out? Absolutely. For your life, you know, if you want to be debt-free, you need to get a plan. If you want to if you, if you have a successful marriage, you need to have a date night. Come on, somebody. Th- those are things from here to there that you have to do. But a lot of times we default in our lives to those emotions. And when we default to those emotions, we don't end up in actually fulfilling all God has for us. You know, if you live in a constant state of frustration because things are not going your way, you'll never get to there. Come on. If you, if you, if you live in a constant state of, of, of negativity and bitterness and, and, and brokenness, you, you never get to that place called there. You, you will remain in here and you will stay here until you pass a test. Now, so here's Elisha. So how do you get from here to there? How do, you, how do you get from God's promise to God's fulfilled promise? So when, you, when, you, when it comes to Elisha, for when you wonder if your life counts, you know, I believe that's inside of every one of us. We want our life to count. You know, you don't want to get at the end of this thing, be laying in the coffin, and nobody have nothing to say. Hey, oh, yeah, he was great. He was wonderful. He was wonderful. Yeah, he was a good, he was a good guy. I mean, the, the, the counting of your life, like when you get to heaven, there's eternal rewards. Like you don't want that to be a lonely day because you were so preoccupi- preoccupied with you in the moment. You were preoccupied with you. And so for when you wonder if your life counts, listen, give your best wherever God puts you. Give your best wherever God puts you. So wherever you are, here's here's what Elisha will teach us this morning. Wherever you are between here and there, number one, give your best in obscurity and God will reward it. Give your best in obscurity and God will reward it. So let's look at Elisha in 1 Kings 19, 19. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Shaphat. Not Snapchat, Shaphat, <laughs> plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the, the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Now, here's what you have to understand about this piece, is that Elisha wasn't poor. He had 12 yokes of oxen. He had a business, and every day, the, Elisha's life Looked like the back end of two oxen. He would he would get on the on the on the on the plow and his every day he'd look at two oxen booties. And he had to deal with the 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 the, the, the stuff that comes out of the oxen on the backside. And that's his life. That's what he does every day. Just moving oxen, plowing fields, looking at their tongue, dung every day, and just this is his view every single day. And the Bible says this is how Elijah found him, in obscurity. Nobody knew who Elisha was. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that Elijah came over and threw his coat on him. Now, what's that mean? In our term, it would be me hiring you to come work for me. So that's a little bit different kind of hiring technique. So there he is. He's plowing the field, and Elijah just comes up and like slaps him with his cloak. And that means, hey, I want you to come work for me. 
So here he is. Elijah went over, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then he walks away from him. Walks away from him. This is a moment. Nothing happens from this moment for 10 years. Here he is. <laughs> this is his day. Oh, I mean, he's just, he's just getting it with, I mean, his oxen. Here he is, and he's in obscurity. But he wasn't like, hey, he wasn't going through the town saying, you know what? Elijah, the prophet, the man that everybody knows, threw his cloak on me. Bam, he wants me to come work for him. No, he wasn't like that. He just kept being faithful in obscurity in his oxen. And he knew that at some point God was going to reward him. See, obscurity is this, not being noticed by anybody. Wow. Not, the obscurity moments are character-building moments. Because if you don't handle obscurity well, you'll never handle the top well. See, Elisha, see, we have gifts in the body of Christ. But gifts can take you somewhere, but they can't keep you there. Gifts can take you up, but they can't keep you up. The, the way you manage obscurity is how your character is developed. When your character is developed, when God promotes you and he elevates you, that's what keeps you there is your character, not your gift. See, he had a gift. He was going to be a prophet. But what kept Elisha in that place was his character. That character was developed in obscurity. So notice what he does. He threw his cloak across his shoulder. He walked away. Ten years, nothing happened. Have you been believing for more than ten years for something? Has God promised you something that's longer than ten years? Maybe for a family member. Maybe for our community. Maybe for our city. Have you been praying for something that hasn't come to pass yet? My question to you is in the middle of obscurity, what are you doing in the middle of obscurity, how are you handling the obscure moments? You know, a lot of times what happens with us is it's God. Why is it taking so long? Come on, somebody, you ever been there? Where you say a prayer, you receive a promise, and you're like, hey, man. Like Elisha, I know that was him. He had to have. He had to have. He had to have received this promise, and he came over, bam, I want you to work for me. At some point, he had to have been just every day, 10 years. Working the oxen. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not a fun job. 12 yoke of oxen. Here he is. He's out there and he's plowing the fields. Somewhere across his mind, how long is this going to take? But in those moments, there was, as God began to work through him in obscurity. So what do we do in obscurity? Here's a question when it comes to obscurity. How well do you handle your private life? Giving your best in obscurity means this. How well do you handle your private life? Well, I do whatever I want to do. I'm gonna, you're going to stay in obscurity. You'll stay there. You won't come out of all that God has for you. Here, here's what God tells us in Matthew 6, 4. He gives us three examples of what to do. Listen, in Matthew 6, 4, it says, Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. He will reward you what he sees in secret. So what he sees in obscurity, what he sees in your private life, will, he will reward you based on what he sees in secret and what you do in secret. So here's three things he said. Here's some examples. He said, pray, but don't be like the heathens. Don't stand on the corner and be like, woo, Dion, come on, Lord. They're like you're standing on the corner and, and, and just want everybody to hear you pray. You look, just because you're loud doesn't mean you're spiritual. Just because you say a lot of words doesn't mean you're spiritual. 
Peter was super spiritual. And all he said was, help me, Lord. Help me figure this thing out. It was like four words, help me. The point is, is this, is what do you do with prayer? So uh, he gives an example. How do you handle that? What about fasting? Do you walk around when you're fasting? <laughs> I'm fasting. <laughs> like everything you see, you're like, oh, God, there's a cheeseburger. Walk over. Can I see? Can I smell it? Can I smell it? I'm fasting. Like you're not supposed to let people know you're doing that. What about giving? Well, I gave this much. Here's much, here's much money I gave. Yeah, I got it. Hold on a second. Listen. Whatever you do, not do, for recognition's sake, God will recognize you. Let me say it again. Whatever you do, not for recognition's sake, God says, I will recognize you. In other words, he will reward you in obscurity if you navigate obscurity correctly. Number two from Elisha, he says this, give your best in small things and God will give you bigger things to do. Give your best in small things, and God will give you bigger things to do. God cares about the details. Here's what he says in 1 Kings 19, 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So the fulfillment of the prophecy was 10 years, but after he received the, 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 the cloak... And come hire me. You know what he did? He went back and he burned his wealth. Come on, man. That was his way of making money. He went back and burned his business. He went back and lit all the oxen on fire. And then he used the wood from the oxen to create a fire that he could roast their flesh. Is what it's, That just sounds fun. Just roasted their flesh. In other words, he gave up something small. God asked him to do something. God gave him a word, and all of a sudden now he began to handle small things. It was very detailed on how this took place. Luke 16.10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I remember when we started the church, I was amped, man. We had a team, our team, uh, we were working for seven months to start the church, and man, I was amped. We're going to meet in here, and you know, I know first Sunday, everybody that breathes is coming, that knows us, and they're going to come and hang out, and, and, but I was just so excited. And uh, my wife, not so much. She's seen all the stuff, and she wasn't real excited, and she asked me, what in the world you're doing? I said, I, got no, I ain't got no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to go for it, see what happens. You know, you never know how deep the water is until you jump off the diving board. Come on, somebody. And so I remember the first Sunday, people started showing up, and we used to have, our church used to be turned this way, so the screen was over there. People started coming in, and, and I think we had 187 first service, first service, 187 people. And... Um, that was everybody. That everybody liked me showed up. I didn't have not very many people showed up. They didn't like, I don't I guess I don't have very many people like me. I guess that's what I'm just kidding. But they showed up and I was all excited and and uh, the next week it wasn't that many people. It went 187. I think we went down to like 90. It was like half. All right, just half. We plummeted the next week. And that's what they say happens. And uh, so anyway, I remember leaving that day. I wasn't discouraged. I was so excited just to be doing what God had called us to do. And I was leaving the parking lot, and I just had some worship on. And the Lord said, be faithful with the one family. Give your best to the one family. And he will make it many families. 
In other words, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. God says in your small things, be best in the small things, and God will give you bigger things. Number three is this, give your best in the natural, and God will do the supernatural. So 10 years later, 10 years later, Elijah asked Elisha a question. Here's what he asked him. In 2 Kings 2, 9 and 10, he says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you. He says, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not be. In other words, he gave his best in the natural, and God will do the supernatural. So after 10 years, Elijah asked him, what can I do for you? The only thing Elisha had to do was ask. The natural thing that God was asking Elisha to do was to ask. Elijah said, what do you want? And, and Elijah said, Elisha says, I want a double portion. He says, see me when I go then. When you see me when I go, then you'll get a double portion. You'll get more of what I've ever done in my life. You'll have an opportunity to experience that. So the only thing that God required of Elisha was to ask. Bold prayers. God asked him to ask. Why not? Why not just ask? Why not ask? What if, some people are like, well, I'm not going to ask because what if it doesn't happen? Then you haven't lost anything. Why not ask? Why, why not put your bold prayer out there for God to do something? Why not, why not just do the natural thing God's asking you to do? Why not just ask the prayer? Why not just ask and watch the supernatural hand of God move? See, the Bible says this, that Elisha, Elisha saw him when he went. Elisha was there when it happened, and he received double. That's why he did double. John 14 tells us this, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You will ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. God's asking us in the natural simply to ask. Just ask. The Bible says in Psalm, ask of me, and I'll give you the nations. Just ask. Just put your ask out there. When you put your ask out there, God responds to your ask. Come on, somebody. And when you do that, all of a sudden, God begins to supernaturally move. And so God, when, I begin, when, we, when we started this thing, we would sit in the house and we would ask for bold things. We would pray bold prayers. Listen, we're not done yet. God is not stopping us here. This is not the stopping point. It's not just our little church in a gym and in a school. God has regional impact in mind for real life church. Why? Because that's what he said he wanted to do. So don't get comfortable in your seat. You might not have it much longer. Well, pastor, I don't know about that. Don't talk to me if that's how you are. Well, you just never know. You might not know, but I know. 
that if I ask anything according to his will, he hears me. And if it's connected to souls, he'll do it. It doesn't matter if it's millions. It doesn't matter if it's multi-millions. It doesn't matter if it's a building. God said he will do it if we ask because it's souls. Come on, talk to me this morning. So we ask. How do you dream that big to ask? How do you get yourself to a place in the middle of here to there to dream in a way that you ask whatever God has on his heart? You ask him for something. How do you get to that place where you dream so big? Number one is this. Learn, this is from Elisha's words, learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. The closer you cultivate the presence of God, the closer you get to his heart, the closer you get to his heart, the bigger the dream in your heart becomes. Second Kings 3, three kings were headed out to war. There was an army, they were heading their armies out to war. And they had ran out of water for their men and their animals in 2 Kings chapter 3. And they had ran out of water. And Jehoshaphat asked the question, is there not a prophet in the land that can come and, and speak and declare? And the Bible says that they said, is there not a prophet in the land that we may acquire of the Lord? In other words, in the Old Testament, it was prophet, priest, and king. The prophet was the one that would speak on behalf of God. He would inquire of the Lord, and then he would speak on what God said in the Old Testament. So that's what they were asking. Is there anybody that can acquire from the Lord for us and then declare what needs to be declared? And notice what happens in this passage in 2 Kings 3.15. They call for Elisha, the obscure one. They ran out of water, and they called for Elisha. And notice his, notice his response. He says this, bring me a harpist. It's an odd request. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. In other words, he was cultivating the presence of God in his life because he knew that he had no hope for them until he could get close to God. He had nothing within himself that could bring this miracle about. He had to get close to God. That's why when you play an instrument up here, it's not just your giftings. There's a lot of people that are gifted but not anointed. He called for a harpist that could shut the mouths of demons in Saul's life. And so he calls for a harpist. And all of a sudden he starts to cultivate the presence of God. And as he cultivates the presence of God, he inquires of the Lord. Why? Because dreams are birthed in God's presence. There's no way around it. He knew he had no hope for them. Listen to me, folks. I got no hope within myself. You got no hope within yourself. But when we cultivate the presence of God in our life, now all of a sudden hope is ignited in our hearts, and there is a community of people that are hopeless without the hope of Jesus, a region that is hopeless without the hope of Jesus, and the only way that that hope gets out into the highways and the byways is when a church starts being the church and, and cultivates the presence of God in their life. Acts 4.13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they had, were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished, and here was their characteristic. It wasn't that they had a great gift. It wasn't they were talented. It wasn't they were good speakers, good musicians. It had nothing to do with it. It says this, 
these men had been with Jesus. In other words, they turned the world upside down because they had been with Jesus. So Elijah would say to us, if you want to walk in the big dream God has for you, then learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. Number two is this, his advice was at some point you have to wake up and do something. Come on, man. At some point, you have to wake up and do something. Here's what he says to him. 2 Kings 3.16. He tells him, he brings the harp, and here's what the Lord says. Out of this worship encounter, here's what he says. Make this valley full of ditches. It's an odd request. Make this valley full of ditches. They needed water. So they were responsible in the natural for digging ditches. So here they are. They hear the word of the Lord, and they get these shovels out, and they just start making ditches. They start creating space for the presence of God. In other words, they didn't just sit around and go, God, I hope you do something. God, I hope you grow this. God, I hope you use this as an impact. No, they didn't sit around and hope. They actually got involved with God. It says at some point you have to wake up and do something. They begin to dig ditches. In other words, dreams must go from inspiration to participation. Inspiration to participation. Look, I could be inspired all day. When I was on staff at Living Word, I could sit at my desk and dream about having a church and, and, and God doing some amazing things. I could sit there and I could be inspired. Listen, I don't want to just be inspired. I want to participate. Give me a shovel. Because if there's no room that you haven't created a room, then God has nothing to fill. They needed water. In order for them to have water, he said, you must dig a ditch. They must go from inspiration to participation. James 2.17 says, faith by itself, it is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Don't tell me how much faith you got and you're sitting on your blessed assurance doing nothing. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Because I'm serious. Why? Because it takes participation. Well, God's just going to do it. He's just he's sovereign. He's sovereign. That is such a bunch of bunk. He's sovereign. He's just going to do whatever he wants to do. No, he's not. It takes your participation. It takes your hand to the plow. It takes your hand to the shovel. It takes you digging ditches. It takes you working hard. And number three is this, Elisha would tell us. Don't base your life on the seen, but the unseen. 2 Kings 3, 17 and 18, as he digs ditches in 16, it says, for this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain. In other words, there's no sign I'm going to fill this. How many of us walk through life like that? From here to there, we don't see nothing happening. That's when discouragement sets in. That's when frustration sets in. That's when disappointment sets in. And then all of a sudden we start to direct that towards God and we're disappointed in God and we're frustrated in God because it's not working like you said it was gonna work. But God said you're not gonna see anything yet the ditches will be filled with water. And here's, here's the struggle right here is we wanna know how God's going to do something. And most of the time we wanna know how he's gonna do it before we believe him for it. Why? Because that's not faith. God requires that we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, the how might not be known, just know the ditches are gonna get filled. Just know the ditches are gonna get filled. 
He says this, he says, you'll see nothing, yet this valley will be filled with water. You, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Now notice what he says, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. So not only will he fill water, but you're gonna win the battle. He does super abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. You will see nothing. Man, that's such a great, that's such a great way to live. God, you promised me something here, and I'm not gonna see nothing until I get there. That's Joshua when he's walking through. He doesn't know where he's going. Think about Abraham. He says, I'm gonna call you to a country, and when you get there, you'll know it. What? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Why? Because God wants to put you in a position to glorify himself, not you. He wants to put you in a position where he gets the glory, not yourself. So here's what he does. He says, this is an easy thing for the Lord. You will see nothing, but it will happen. Faith sees what's not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You do your part. You dig the ditch, and God will supernaturally fill them. Filling ditches is an easy thing for the Lord. Obedience in the natural is the tough part. Obedience unlocks the supernatural. Learning to live your life on what is unseen versus what is seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, so we fix our eyes, fix. That means we're not looking to the right, we're not looking to the left, I'm not looking at your opinion, I'm not looking at your wondering, I'm not looking at your frustration. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So base your life on the, don't base your life on the seen, but on the unseen. So in closing today, if it's okay with you, I'm, I'm just gonna take some time and boldly ask for some things. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. That the first step in this thing is that we would boldly ask for stuff. That we would boldly ask. And then we, then we would live our life in a way to where even if we don't see anything happening, we know God promised it. That when we ask, something will move, something will break, something will shift. Because there are people, listen to me, there are people that are lost, that are dying, that are on their way to hell, that it's going to take a real life church to get in the way of their destiny. When we started the church, I began to ask God for a place. I began to ask God boldly for a place. As we, as we started here, as we, as, as it was like year 15, we were in here and we were, we were working hard and we're, and we're growing and, and things like that's happening and there's setbacks and there's craziness and it's just constant. There's days where I don't see anything moving. There's days when I get into my car. Can I be vulnerable? There's days I get into my car and the enemy just starts crushing me. That was terrible. Wow, did you see that? That was good, great. If, even if I don't see nothing. See, in the, in the space of nothing is where the enemy works the best. So you have to know what God said he was going to do because in the space of nothing is where the enemy beats your brains out. So in those moments, those thoughts don't sit. 
those thoughts are taken captive and I remind the enemy of what God said. I remind the enemy of, his, of God's word. So I boldly ask, God gave us a piece of property. God blessed us with a piece of property on Social Row Road. Buildings are necessary, but it's just a building. But I declare and I boldly ask that this will not just be a church in a location, but it will be a hub for other locations. It will be a sending center ascending center of people that are healed, delivered, and set free by the power of God. I ask for a center of freedom. I ask for a center of deliverance. I ask for the hub of what you want to do in this region by the power of God. Oh, it will cost us but I'm going to ask anyway. It will create sacrifice, but I'm going to ask anyway. I'm gonna faithfully continue to dig ditches. Listen, the thing with digging ditches is you don't determine how long you gotta dig for. You dig, and as you dig, God fills the ditches. So faithfully digging ditches over the last eight years of loving people, setting this place up and tearing it down with excellence, working on process to help people, following up on people, helping marriages, faithful with money, faithful with volunteers, inviting people, praying for people, getting involved, and just faithfully digging ditches. We boldly ask, and then we get in the middle of it, and then God moves. He fills the ditches. As I was studying this, the Lord said, just prophesy there's more. This is not all there is. There are more places, more communities, more locations, more impact, more souls. And you're like, Jason, you've lost your mind. No, I just, I am sick and tired of being reserved in bold prayers, wondering whether or not you would like what I say. I'm over that, I'm over you, and I want the Bible to come to pass in our community and I'm gonna boldly ask for it. I'm gonna boldly declare that this is a freedom center, that this is a deliverance center, that there is healings and miracles waiting on us. And so we just gonna keep, we're gonna keep digging ditches. We're gonna keep digging ditches and we're gonna watch God fill the ditch and we're gonna watch him fill the ditch and we're gonna watch him fill the ditch. Hallelujah, come on. Second Corinthians 3. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Second Kings, sorry. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree. You 
the stop up all the springs, ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of me, and the land was filled with water. There is a dry land that we're living in, and it needs to be filled with water. So we got to make the ditch, baby. Come on. as we Come on. Next morning, they came out. Here they are. They came out. There they are. They walked out, and the water was flowing everywhere. It was flowing everywhere. God gave me a prophetic picture, and I want to share this with you. Sea turtles. See, because sea turtles, when a mama has a sea turtle and they have the eggs, they take them and they bury them in the sand. And they put them in obscurity. Why? Because there's development going on on the inside of that little egg of that sea turtle. <clears throat> but that sea turtle, as it's in the, in the sand, its destiny is not the sand. He's in the sand and he's developing and he's in obscurity and he's being fashioned. But there comes a time where he expands out of the shell, the restriction, the obscurity. And all of a sudden, there comes a little break in the shell. And light beams in. And all of a sudden, that little sea turtle starts to experience light. It was in darkness and now experiences light. And as experienced light, all of a sudden, it, sh it sheds, it shreds his, or, or takes off, or gets off the shell. Takes the shell off. And the thing about the sea turtle is very interesting. Is the sea turtle knows inside of it, there is an instinctive nature that it wasn't meant for sand. It was meant for water. So when the little sea turtle comes out of the sand and experiences light, all of a sudden, it doesn't go bury itself back in the sand. He starts to make his way to the water. Why? Because there's something in him that wants the water. He knows that's his destiny. He knows that's his purpose. He knows that's his identity is in the water. And he's supposed to get in the water, and he's supposed to grow, grow in the water. He's supposed to develop in the water. He's supposed to get big in the water. And that little sea turtle, you'll see him. They'll leave the sand and they'll leave obscurity and they'll get in the water. This is a prophetic picture of our church. This is a prophetic picture of what God wants to do, that there are people that are in obscurity, that are in darkness, that real life church is going to continue to, <clears throat> to dig ditches in a way that cracks the shell, that breaks the darkness, that as we begin to break the shell and we break the darkness with the light, all of a sudden, the God-created purpose in every human being will not be to run back to the sand. But when they experience the light of God, they're, they're going to run to the water. They're going to run to the water, the well that never runs dry. They're going to run to Jesus. And so listen to me this morning, church. I don't know where you are, but this isn't it. We're not done yet. We're not there yet. God is calling us. We got a sea turtle anointing. So, Father, I declare right now, grab a hand with somebody this morning. Oh. Father, I declare this morning, in the name of Jesus, that wherever anybody finds themselves today, that we boldly ask for region-shaking center. We boldly ask for every resource needed to accomplish the things which you've called us to accomplish will be done in Jesus' name. We ask for the Freedom Center, no matter what it costs, no matter the sacrifice, God, that we are just open to what you want to do. And in the meantime, between here and there, we will faithfully love, we will faithfully work, 
We will faithfully do things with excellence. We will faithfully serve. We will faithfully give. We will faithfully dig ditches. And God, we don't know necessarily all the timing pieces as, as when you fill the water, but along the way, along the way, I thank you that you'll fill ditches with water, that you'll do supernatural things as we focus on the unseen and not the seen. So today, Lord, thank you that you're calling us to be a place not to be stuck, but to be a place of praying, giving, serving, to be a place that pulls people out of darkness and into light. And God, I pray this morning that if there are those in this room that are feeling obscure, it's okay. God's working on you. There's tests you're passing. There's things he's doing in you. There's things he's working in you. That if you stay faithful in your private life, God will reward you openly. So stay faithful in the secret place. God, and so I pray right now in Jesus' name that the land would be filled with water. As you told me in Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 19, behold, you'll do a new thing. Shall not spring forth. Shall rivers not be brought forth in the desert. And Lord, I thank you today that God, this region, God, there will be a, a waking up to the water of God, that the saturation of the Lord would take place over our region, God. As your church comes out of obscurity, as your church, as your church rises in the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to see themselves not as something that is just seen, but that but they live their lives out of something that is unseen. And so today, in Jesus' name, we declare it, and we decree it, and we believe it, and we love you, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Come on. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.